Section 2 of The National Geographic Magazine, Volume 9, July 1898. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in December 2020. Origin of the Physical Features of the United States by G. K. Gilbert, United States Geological Survey. Fifteen years ago, on a September morning, I stood on a housetop in Zuni, waiting for the rising of the sun. On other housetops here and there were other watchers, sitting or standing with their faces toward the east, and close at my side stood a venerable priest of the sun, oblivious of all else, and gazing intently on the spot where the sun should appear. From his neck hung a small bag containing sacred meal. When the first streak of light appeared above the eastern mesa, his lips began to move, and he repeated slowly and with low voice an invocation to the sun. Then, taking from the bag a small offering of the consecrated flower, he breathed upon it and cast it toward the east. Cushing, who became a Zuni Indian that he might learn their lore, tells us that this sunrise ritual contains archaic words, of which few modern Zunis know the meaning, words related to the modern Zuni tongue as Norman French to modern English, and showing that the Zuni sun-worship began in remote times, far beyond the possibility of historical determination. The Zuni's reverence for the sun-god is shared by many savage tribes, and belongs to the early history of many civilized peoples. In later stages of culture it is succeeded by the worship of animals, or the personified powers of nature, and of personified mental power, so that with civilized man the old sun-worship has disappeared. But there is a new sun-worship, introduced and fostered by science, for science has discovered in the sun a creator of wonderful versatility and power. Geographers worship also another nature god, the inner earth or the underground, a creator also and co-worker with the sun. These two gods of physical geography were known to the Greeks as Helios and Hades, to the Romans as Apollo and Pluto. In later centuries, Apollo, as the stimulator of life, developed into the god of culture, but to early tradition he is the sun, a nature god coordinate with Pluto, the underground. Geology has long recognized Pluto, but has made him coordinate with the sea god, Neptune, naming her rocks in two great groups, the Plutonic and Neptunian. Neptune has place also in the pantheon of geography, but only as a vassal of the mightier Apollo. Apollo gives to the earth light, heat, frost, storm, and rivers, and is daily the creator of motion and life. Pluto is an unknown god, hidden and mysterious. The Greeks named him Hades, the Unseen. His only attribute, of which we are altogether sure, is heat. 
imagination pictures him in various ways but imaginations differ and their conflicting sketches need not claim our attention to-day he made the continent and is never tired of remaking it but for him the globular earth would be enveloped in an endless ocean and life would be far different from the life we know by ridging the outer rind of the earth he created the land and set a limit to the sea and from age to age he swells broad land tracts upwards or draws them downward so that the outlines of sea and land are ever changing crushing the rock together here and there he forces up mountain ridges fusing it he pours out lavas that congeal and build up other mountains apollo dips up water from the sea and sprinkles it on the rock to moisten and soften it by alternate heating and chilling he cracks it into bits and by a complex chemistry which despite our studies still seems magical he changes it to fine soil in which plants may grow and in which the husbandman may delve lifting more water from the sea he pours it broadly on the land to make rills and rivers which wash the soil away spreading it in the hollows and building plains this scouring cuts the uplands into hills but eventually they too are worn down so that the plain is the end and aim of the waterwork preparing for the plough the yielding soil and level surface which makes its labours light and showering the fields with fertilising moisture he is the beneficent patron of agriculture the mountains of pluto lifted to the region of clouds intercept and engender storms and are the perennial sources of streams rugged with gorges and crags and scantily clothed with soil they extend no welcome to the farmer but instead they harbour a forest growth storing timber and fuel and in some lands their huge banks of winter snow are reservoirs for the water of irrigation pluto and apollo separate the earth stuff into kinds if all the minerals of the land were mingled in one complex but homogeneous substance the problem of civilization would be a problem of separation and would be chemical but the gods have classified and arranged sorting the more abundant materials into broad layers and gathering the rarer into crevices and pockets and so the problem of civilization is a problem of exploration and discovery or a problem of geographic distribution pluto sorts by creating a slow circulation of water as far as mines and borings have penetrated the earth the pores of the rocks are full of water and the downward limit of this saturation is unknown the upper rocks are comparatively cool the lower rocks are hot and the contrast sets the water in motion the upper water denser because cold tends downward the underwater 
expanded and made lighter by heat is forced upward and though motion is exceedingly slow there is a continuous circulation the chemistry of the upper water is different from the chemistry of the lower each can dissolve certain substances but the substances are not the same the properties of water change as heat and pressure increase and again as heat and pressure decrease so the slow-moving water picks up certain substances in one region and in another deposits them so as to receive other substances and in this way it sorts out many of the rarer things gathering together or concentrating ores of gold silver platinum mercury lead zinc copper and iron apollo sorts by the free circulation of water at the surface the soil that is washed away from mountains and uplands and spread by the streams in lowlands and submerged plains is not deposited in one promiscuous mass but is classified according to kinds marl in one place clay in another and sand in another and in time these become limestone shale and sandstone the tissues of plants are gathered in swamps and changed to peat then buried under shale and sandstone and finally transformed to coal the tissues of plants and animals intimately mingled with mud that changes underground to shales are slowly distilled in after ages to fill rock reservoirs with oil and gas in other places and by other special processes iron salt gypsum and phosphates are separated and where plutonic stores of the metals are ravaged by storm and stream the gold is separated by its weight and gathered in the river gravels the origin of the features of all lands having been thus briefly sketched we may now consider in a broad way the physical characters of the united states and for this purpose it is convenient to divide the country into a few broad provinces parallel to the atlantic coast is the appalachian mountain belt running northeastward from alabama to new england east of it lies the atlantic plain west of it the central plain consisting largely of the valley of the mississippi stretches to the base of the rocky mountains thence to the pacific coast is a mountainous province known to geographers as the cordilleras a fifth province the province of the lakes overlaps the northern portions of the other four and reaches from ocean to ocean along our canadian border the cordilleran province comprising the western third of our country is characterized by mountain ranges the dominant trend is with the meridian swerving in some districts toward the southeast and in others toward the southwest and in each district there is a general parallelism the ranges are definitely plutonic 
each one having been caused by a distinct local uplift but they are not altogether independent for there is much evidence of system in their arrangement not only are neighboring ranges approximately parallel but they are evenly spaced so that in crossing the system one finds a regular alternation of ridge and valley through extensive districts the alluvial waste from the erosion and sculpture of the ranges is gathered in the intervening valleys making of each one a shallow basin or a gently concave plain where roads may run at will here and there some of the lower ranges are almost buried by the alluvial filling so that their summits project as craggy islands above a sea of rock waste elsewhere and especially where the mountains are highest the intervening valleys are drained by vigorous rivers which carry off the waste and prevent the building of extensive plains in one important district uplift has not completed its work of mountain making and the land forms a system of plateaus of various heights through which the colorado and its tributaries have carved their wonderful system of canyons volcanoes also have made extensive contributions to the topography building many great cones and a multitude of cratered hills and adding voluminous beds of lava to the alluvial strata of the valleys in the extreme northwest the rainfall is exceptionally abundant causing a forest growth so luxuriant and dense that the farmer cannot afford the labor of its subjugation as the purchase price to nature for his land much of this district also is too rugged for the plough so that it constitutes a great natural forest reserve needing only protection from fire to ensure a perpetual supply of timber in the remainder of the province the rain tribute is scant falling far short of the farmer's needs so that crops must be irrigated the downfall is greater on mountains than on valleys and about their cool summits the winter snow lingers through spring and summer doling out water to mountain streams which may be utilized for the irrigation of valley lands but the acres which can thus be nourished are only a small share of those whose smooth surface invites the plough and the valleys as a whole belong to the herdsman rather than the husbandman their grasses are scant but this fault is half compensated by their immense extent and they must be counted as a valuable resource an important reserve of grazing land that can never be monopolized by agriculture on the higher plateaus and in the recesses of the mountains are tracts and patches of forests many of which are protected against hasty consumption by inaccessibility and these supplement the great reserve of the extreme northwest in the mountains also are plutonic stores of the precious and other metals and a score of valleys hold apollonic magazines of coal 
the mountain streams in addition to their tribute to agriculture afford power to the manufacturer untamed and fickle subject to enormous floods and irregular droughts their control is not easy but if they shall ever be subdued and harnessed there is hardly a limit to the tasks they may perform the central plain comprising half of all the land has been shaped by apollonic forces the geologist tells us of many uplifts dislocations and flexures of the crust but all these have been reduced to approximate evenness by the cooperative work of rain frost and rivers where hollows were made they have been filled where hills and mountains had grown they have been pared away so that only their roots with a few low stumps remain in types of detail there is much variety and there are many rugged tracts but the characterizing feature is evenness and agriculture is the great industry for which the province is naturally destined on this broad fact however climate imposes an important qualification over most of the province the spring and summer rains suffice for the farmer's need disappointing him only by an occasional drought but in a western belt following the base of the rocky mountains and including much of the sub-province known as the great plains the rainfall is so scant that agriculture must depend on irrigation just as in the cordilleras here again grazing may flourish without need to compete with agriculture for possession of the land and the domain of the herdsmen is thus naturally set apart of the rarer mineral resources the central plain has greatest wealth in coal which underlies broad tracts and is easily mined it is rich also in iron both plutonic and apollonic and has abundant salt and gypsum throughout its broad extent wagon roads and railroads are easily constructed and its grain for export finds cheap water transportation from interior districts to the sea by way of the mississippi and the st lawrence the mountains of the appalachian province were formed by the cooperation of pluto and apollo long ago the crustal rocks were crowded together in a great system of wrinkles the crests of which were then wholly pared away so that the central and atlantic plains were joined in one then came other disturbances along the folded belt but without new folding the plain was locally lifted into a long plateau with gentle slopes on either side and from this plateau the mountains have been carved through the remnants of the old truncated folds ran long outcrops of various and diverse rocks trending northeast and southwest and these rocks have been wasted unequally by the eroding waters where there were soluble limestones or weak shales the streams opened valleys where there were resistant sandstones or quartzites mountain ridges were left 
and so the Appalachian ranges are a complex cameo of nature's carving. The broader valleys were smoothed in the carving and prepared for agriculture, the mountains left rough and reserved for forest. The region is rich in iron, both Apollonic and Plutonic, and peculiarly rich in what may be called Plutonic coal, coal made indeed by Apollonic processes, but converted to rich anthracite by Plutonic heat. Water power is abundant, and though less magnificent in its possibilities than the power associated with the loftier cordilleras, of greater present value, because more tractable, and because associated with tillable plains that are qualified by climate for the primary industry of agriculture. The Atlantic plain resembles the central in that both cutting and filling have contributed to its formation, but the constructive factor is here more important. While the Appalachian folds were being reduced, part of the waste went eastward, burying the Atlantic margin of the continent and extending it seaward. Later, when the Appalachian cameo was carved, the accumulation of waste was continued, and so the eastern part of the Atlantic belt is what geographers call a constructional plain. But there is another part, lying close to the mountains, which shared in the Appalachian uplift and also in the Appalachian carving, and was finally reduced so nearly to sea level that it constitutes an inseparable part of the Atlantic province. It consists of ancient rocks, graded down nearly to a uniform level, and is classed by geographers as a destructional or eroded plain. As Pluto raises and lowers the land, the ocean is caused to alternately recede and advance, and this low-lying plain is peculiarly susceptible to its encroachment. In our day, the fourth part of it is submerged, so that its actual limit as a physical feature lies many miles beyond the coast, where there is an abrupt change from shallow soundings to abyssal depths. The land of the Atlantic plain is shaped for agriculture, and much of it is cultivated, but there are broad tracts of soil too poor to compete with the fertile land of the central plain and utilized only for timber and other forest products. Water powers, afforded by the moderate fall of large streams, have great value by reason of their proximity to tidewater and consequent facilities for cheap transportation of the raw materials and the products of manufacture. The Lake Province, overlapping all other provinces from the north, is a marginal overflow of Canadian topography and resulted from the great prehistoric invasion of our land by Canadian ice. The colossal ice sheets of the eastern and central British provinces and the contemporary glaciers of the northern Cordilleran mountains remodeled the topography of all the provinces, 
carving the valleys into new shapes and heaping the debris in irregular mounds and ridges of peculiar type when the ice was melted and rains fell again upon the land the streams could neither find nor follow their old courses and the waters were compelled to fill many a hollow before they could flow away at all so while the old types of mountains and plains remained as broad features characterizing the several provinces there was added the feature of obstructed drainage marked by a multiplicity of lakes of these are the lakes and ponds of new england and new york the great laurentian lakes and their host of associated lakelets the mountain lakes of idaho and montana and the curious linear lakes of northern washington the distribution of ores was not affected though facility of discovery and exploitation was locally modified being partly impaired and partly improved the surface conditions bearing on agriculture were greatly changed large tracts denuded of soil were relegated to the growth of timber others were made hilly by the heaping of drift and yet others were smoothed by sedimentation in the beds of temporary lakes the new soils have a special quality as compared to those resulting from the decay of rocks for rock decay involves leaching and the loss of soluble minerals the ice mill ground together unleached samples of many rocks and deposited them with little sorting so that the glacial soils are often rich in minerals which elsewhere need to be artificially supplied the confusion of drainage has yielded results as important in their way as those from the traditionary confusion of tongues at babel for the disconcerted streams having their descent arrested by basins and lakes are compelled elsewhere to tumble down rapidly making convenient water powers and these water powers have special value because the associated lakes are natural reservoirs protecting them from flood and drought as the greater lakes are also natural avenues for commerce the province of the lakes associating water power with commercial facility is the natural home of manufacture the physical characters which after mineral resources and climate have greatest influence on industrial activities are internal routes for commerce and maritime harbors in their relation to external routes the lines followed by pioneer settlement as well as those to which internal transportation ultimately adjusts itself are greatly influenced by topographic configuration continuous mountain ranges acting as barriers and low passes through ranges serving as avenues long lines of navigable water also have their influence and for districts whose most practical product is so abundant as to yield a surplus for exportation facility of transportation means progress in population and wealth 
the consideration of these conditions is attractive but as they affect various localities unequally their discussion may properly be left for the lecturers who are to speak of more limited districts harbors however though their local quality has local value are of primary importance to the country as a whole and may be considered today they are naturally formed in many ways but only the principal types need be mentioned wherever a river reaches the sea the continuous contour of the coast is broken and there would be a natural harbor but for the opposition of the waves the outflowing river endeavors to scour a channel through which ships may enter the waves buffeting the coast and drifting sand and gravel to and fro endeavor to clog the riverway with submerged bars making the water too shoal for shipping over small rivers the waves are victorious and unless engineers cooperated with the rivers the entranceways are sealed large rivers overpower the waves and clear their channels faster than the waves can clog them only one of our rivers the mississippi has proved competent to maintain its channel to the sea but that affords a harbor of peculiar value in that it is connected with a system of inland navigation hundreds of miles in extent the fjord harbors associated with prehistoric ice fields are an important group the ice descends to the shores of both oceans and by its remodeling of the surface left steep slopes with a tortuous contour creating a great abundance of deep harbors new england at the east and washington at the west are thus endowed and their maritime commerce requires neither piers nor dredges to maintain its natural channels natural harbors of a third class are connected with vertical movements of the land when the margin of the continent is lifted the coastline following a slope new risen from the sea is a simple contour on an even plain and there are no harbors but when the land is depressed the sea water enters each valley of the coastal plain making a bay then the waves driving sand and other land waste along the coast build a spit across the mouth of each bay converting it into a sheltered harbor whose entrance is scoured four times a day by the incoming and outgoing tide into the estuaries thus formed the streams build deltas gradually filling and obliterating them but so long as subsistence continues they remain open and available for commerce it is our good fortune that nearly the whole of our coast both atlantic and pacific is now subsiding so that estuaries are numerous and the maintenance of serviceable harbors requires only moderate aid from the engineer the bays and sounds of san francisco galveston mobile tampa savannah charleston wilmington pamlico chesapeake and delaware are of this type 
and the Hudson estuary, which is also a fjord, carries tide-water one hundred and fifty miles from the coast. Climatically, the United States lies within the zone of variable winds. Instead of being swept by continuous trade winds or periodic monsoons, it is traversed at short but irregular intervals by the broad earworlds called cyclones, which bring with them rapid alternations of warmth and coolness, sunshine and rain, breeze and calm, and the direction of the wind is continually shifting. In other words, we are endowed with weather instead of mere climatic monotony. In all parts of our land there is so much of winter that man must provide himself with clothing, shelter, and fuel. Natural fruits, to be had for the plucking, will not sustain him, and he is compelled to earn his food. Thus nature forces him to labor and to contrive, and his physical and intellectual faculties are developed, like the athlete's muscle, by exercise. From variety of configuration, of mineral resources, and of climate, flow varied and complementary industries. Agriculture flourishes in the Atlantic and Central provinces, on the morainic hills and lacustrine plains of the Lake District, and, with irrigation, in intervals of the Cordilleras. Its products range from the hardy apple to the frost-shunning banana. Along the western borders of the central plain and in Cordilleran valleys, the herdsman tends his bands of horses, kine, and sheep. In the humid northwest, in the recesses of the mountains, and on tracts of inferior or scanty soil, are forests for the lumberman. In mountains and roots of mountains are ores for the miner, and from the hills he draws fossil fuels. Manufacture finds natural power in waterfall, coal, and gas, and the way of commerce is made easy by the harbors of the coast. Thus Pluto and Apollo have prepared the land for that diversity of product and industry which gives national independence, and have provided a commercial facility which joins us to the brotherhood of nations. End of section 2